0: inspiration i am your host mike hendley in this podcast i look beyond the pencils the brushes the sketchbooks and the ipads to discover what it means to be an artist join me as i speak to other creatives about their journey as well as reflecting on my own artwork and experiences episode 86 mixed media watercolor and taking the road less traveled with tina hotchkiss hi everyone And welcome back. These are going to be some super quick updates, and then we'll head straight into that interview. So, as always, I'd like to thank all my Patreon supporters and everyone who's bought me a paintbrush (laughs) through the Buy Me a Coffee service. I do appreciate this. I do the podcast, the hosting, everything out of my own pocket because I'm interested in sharing my experience and my conversation with these wonderful artists and creatives. So, I just wanted to say thank you, everyone who has shared or commented or shared the impact that the podcast has had on your day your week uh, your work that you're doing whether you've taken on a new challenge um, taken some homework from one of the shows and gone further with it i love hearing about it i love the impact this is having on your life as a creative and uh, i appreciate you following the podcast so thank you once again to everyone so it is October, and that means Inktober, and I am not doing it this year, <laughs> but I am wishing good luck to everyone who has taken up Inktober for this year. So for those of you who aren't aware, Inktober is a drawing challenge. There are 31 prompts issued by the Inktober team. So the intent with the challenge is that you draw something different every day, so 31 items for the, for the month of October, and then you share those on social media. And so some people have taken this in different paths. Some uh, kind of follow the initial intent, which was using ink. Some have done it digitally, which I've done. I've done it both in ink and digitally. And others have taken it on a slightly different path. It doesn't really matter. The whole point is that you're creating something new every day. And I applaud those who've taken it on or taken, I guess, variants of it. I know that some people are doing Birdtober. And you can uh, find links to that in uh, social media and others. I saw one for Inverttober, which is (laughs) kind of an inktober for invertebrates. Uh, I think that's kind of cool and kind of fun. I thought about doing Birdtober, but I decided not to. And the reason being is I've got an accordion etcher sketchbook that has 40 different drawing surfaces in it. And I thought, I need 40 challenges. (laughs) So... I think that I am going to do 40 birds in 40 nights and I haven't decided when I'm going to start this yet but probably in the next couple of weeks I think I'm going to do 40 birds 40 nights that'll be the hashtag uh, something to put into my accordion sketchbook I'm not sure how I'm going to do them yet and my focus once again is 40 birds around me so these are uh, 40 birds that make ottawa home at some point during the year so i've pulled together a list of 40 birds that frequent the area and i think i'm going to focus on that and they're going to be fairly small and once again i'm not sure how i'm going to do them whether it's going to be just ink or watercolor or even acrylic, uh, because that extra sketchbook could support it. I'm not sure what I'm going to do yet, but I think it's going to be not too complicated because I want to make sure I can get through one each day. So keep an eye out for that as I kind of take on my own challenge in moving through as we head into uh, the latter part of the year or so. So regardless of the challenge that you've taken up, I'm wishing you all the best in doing that. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, I didn't really sign up or start Tober, you know what, check out the list on their website, pull two or three items and just give it a shot. It, you know, you could do one, you could do 10. It doesn't matter, but this idea of kind of taking a word and then creating something based on your own thoughts around that is kind of cool. So I encourage all of you to kind of challenge yourself a little bit and force yourself out of your comfort zone and uh, live in that space a little bit and then come back to the comfort and see how you feel and see how you've changed as a, as a creative so I started in the last podcast something I'm just calling Mike's kit or Mike's gear, and I've been throwing more items into that. There is a link on the um, in my profile through Twitter and through Instagram to this kit. I've been throwing more items into that kit. I'm going to be adding more and more over time. I'm going to try and focus on specific items. Uh, And once again, you know, where possible, I'm pointing to Amazon. You don't have to buy it there. If you do, it's an affiliate link. So that means there's a percentage of a tiny percentage that comes back to me in some way, shape or form. Uh, But it does provide you a link to the Amazon posting. And if you can find it at your local art store, uh, wherever you may be, then that's cool. Uh, But it's a better way for me to kind of share it with people and those who want to just act on it and buy it through something like amazon can do it through these links so um, i'm going to keep adding to it i may build additional kind of kits depending on whether it's plein air and some of those elements as well which maybe shouldn't live in the same space as the brushes and the paper so i'm still thinking it through but you'll find a link in my profile and the show notes for that and so one of the things that's harder to include in that kit are the discount codes so there are two active discount codes that you can use right now one is for etcher Etcher has been supporting the podcast for a few weeks now, and they provided this code Mike H, that's M-I-K-E-H, for 10% off your next order. So if you order directly from Etcher, you can use that code for 10% off. In addition, with my guest last week, we also have an art toolkit discount of 10%, and you can use the code M-H-DRAWS10, which will give you 10% off until December 31st of this year. So that's December 31st of 2022. If you're going to be looking for supplies from either one of those, just remember those codes, those coupon codes, they will be in the show notes, and uh, you can check them out. So there you go. So one of the things I, I stumbled across uh, this week was a video from Evan Puschak, who is the nerd writer on YouTube, and he has a new book. I think it's called Escape into Meaning. So the reason I mention Evan is because he released a video, YouTube video recently about why Monet painted the same haystacks 25 times. And he doesn't focus necessarily on art. He writes about everything. He's an incredible guy. But I would recommend watching this video because he talks through, from his perspective, why Monet painted these 25 haystacks. And I think it's an interesting exploration into what we try and do as creatives and trying to hone our skills and trying to appreciate the differences in how we observe and when we observe. And by that, I mean, if you're looking at something like a haystack, understanding that that, the way the light hits that and the seasons treat that element uh, varies tremendously over the year, especially in regions where you have more distinction between the various seasons. And so I thought it was a really great video. I'm just going to throw a link for it in the show notes. I ask you to just check it out. It's not very long. I think it's uh, under 10 minutes. And it's just something I found really interesting to watch so um, I encourage you to check that out I'm sure there's more details about Monet and his haystacks but I thought this was a really good kind of pull into that and uh, I'm sure there's a rabbit hole that can be found that could bring you even deeper but I just thought I would share that with you and so just some quick art updates I did finish that bobcat and it took me a little bit more time I think it was I don't know seven or eight hours I think to complete that but it was great I, I love drawing with pencil I loved doing the bobcat and the subtleties of uh, the hair and trying to get those textures right, that short hair on its, on its nose compared to the longer hair and some of the matted stuff that happens, uh, you know, and, and the hair that's inside a cat's ear. So that was kind of a, a fun exercise. And then kind of the subtlety of that snow that it's hiding behind. So I'll provide another link to that in the show notes. You can take a closer look. And it is mushroom time. There are mushrooms everywhere. So I did a recent entry to my perpetual journal of some mushrooms. I think I've got two or three more lined up, and I just love this time of year. Mushrooms are incredibly interesting, colorful, and kind of a, a fruit that reflects the uh, the interesting um, elements of our forest and our lawns. And I just it, they're just everywhere. There's Pleasant little surprises. If you look hard enough, you can find them. And sometimes they're so tiny, and other times they're massive, and they've got a mix of color. So I would encourage you all to check them out and um, see maybe if you if they can make an entry into your sketchbook or your perpetual journal. And the last piece I, I kind of worked on was a uh, that I can talk about <laughs> is a vulture. I did it in one of my sketchbooks in Micron Ink. I, I consider it a quick sketch. People kind of joke about, what do you mean by quick, uh, with air quotes. But uh, for me, it's something that I don't really put a lot of thought into that i'm sitting on a couch and uh, drawing it while i'm doing something else and i used a reference for this that i purchased through animal references which is a website and i used a micron pen for this with uh, the size was 005 and it was with a sepia ink and i just tried to play with kind of rendering this in a fairly quick manner. I'm not a big person who's done cross hatching and stuff like that in the past. Like, I would not be able to teach you how to do that at this point. But I tried to do some of that to help render some of the darker areas, and I thought it was fun. I think I'm going to do a few more of these kinds of things rather than just always doing the same kind of watercolor work. Um, I want to kind of push it to the edges a little bit. In um, and, and I just love drawing, so it's nice to be able to use a tool that is uh, related to a pencil, but not the same. So yeah, it's fun. Uh, I have other things that I'm working on. I can't share any of it with you now, but I will as I can progress. And so make sure that you follow this podcast and you'll get notified when there are new episodes and I'll talk about some of the other things that I'm working on. So that's it for updates. Now let's head into the interview. I met my guest this week through the free Etcher art gathering experiences on Zoom. I was immediately drawn to her in-depth knowledge of color theory, as well as having a strong and empathetic voice of a teacher. When quite young, she discovered creativity as a tool to help her manage her dyslexia, which in turn empowered her with a new way to look at the world. She followed a path into industrial design, but would eventually make it back to her first dream of being an art teacher. She works tirelessly as an artist and a teacher, developing new content and trying different approaches to art. She is never afraid to try something new and is always eager to share. To talk about her creative journey, I welcome to the Drawing Inspiration podcast, Tina Hotchkiss. Hi Tina, how are you?
1: I'm doing very well, thank you. Mike, thank you for having me.
0: Well thank you so much for coming on. It was uh, it was such a pleasure stumbling across you in, in one of the Etcher gathering rooms and I think we've been in two or three together and Etcher's been great in kind of creating this Zoom platform where we can just go in and hang out and work on our own stuff and share if we want or we can leave our camera off. And I, I saw you with your tremendous little studio and all the work that you were doing and then there was one session where you were talking about color theory and it's like then I went into your page and I saw your work and I'm thinking I have to have Tina on the podcast like there's so much to uncover here both as an artist as well as a teacher and so I just I I'm so thankful that you uh, said yes to this and agreed to come on to the podcast
1: oh definitely I'm always always glad to share I'd love to share what what I have found and and like to learn from from everybody so so yes art should be shared
0: now I always like to kind of understand people's background and where they come from and whether art was with them from the beginning or did they come to it in their 40s or or whatever right so you know when you were young and and growing up beyond you know the typical kind of crayons and things like that were you a creative child was that something that that was uh that figured prominently in your life as a kid?
1: Yes. Creativity actually saved me. As a child, I struggled in school. I have dyslexia and really struggled. So I had to really think outside the box how I could learn. And um, I was a very, very much of a visual uh, learner, of course, since um, with dyslexia, that's, that's what you need to do. And, um, I knew that there was, I was different. I, I didn't, I wasn't diagnosed until I was in the fifth grade. So I really, uh, and my teachers were baffled also because I, uh, math, I was good in math. I was good in science and, and, but I just, uh, the reading and spelling and all of that was just horrible. Um, so I think that art was a place where I was on even ground with the other students and the harder I worked, um, the better I got, but that was not true in other aspects. So I think that that's why, and when you're dysleptic, you have to, um, you really do have to think outside the box on how to learn. And I think breaking down how you have to break down an art piece you know, I had to break, I was doing that from very early age, um, learning other things. So uh, creativity was something that saved me.
0: That's wonderful to hear. And like, I don't know, do you think that's still applicable today? Like if somebody has a a child that's, that's dealing with dyslexia, that creativity could, could be what they need at that point in time?
1: Oh, definitely. Yes, uh, I think so. I think that I look at things a little different because of the way my brain is wired. I don't think it should be called a a disability because maybe I don't learn like uh, somebody else does. But um, I do have an advantage in other areas just because of the way my brain is just different. I think I can can break down things. It's just kind of hard to explain.
0: Yeah, I think it's uh, like, even when I was growing up, I don't remember anyone talking about dyslexia. I'm sure I went to to school with kids that had it. I think the first person that I knew, or not even knew, the first person I connected to to dyslexia was, um, and it's not because I ever met him, but was Jackie Stewart, the Formula One driver. He was dyslexic. And I didn't... And it was like, he's what? What does that even mean? And uh, so you know, I I think maybe it's one of those hidden things that many kids didn't get diagnosed and ended up impacting them in in how they learned. And for you, was that like once you were diagnosed in grade five and then moving into high school, being aware of that, did the creativity stick with you and empower you moving through high school and then into post-secondary education?
1: Oh, yes, definitely it did. What it helped with was oh, yes, okay, now I know, yeah, there's something weird going on, and um, I my brain just isn't wired like most uh, students' brains are, and so there was a reason, but that didn't help with actually completing the task. I had to work very hard. I went through uh, high school, was in the National Honor Society. You know, I I just had to work hard. I had to work extra, extra, extra hard. And then, um, but then there were other things that came very easy to me um, and I didn't understand why those were hard for um, for other people. So uh, like in the sciences and, and um, math and things like that, I, I excelled in. So so I didn't have to work as hard there uh, as I did. And I did have to get very creative on how to learn. Uh, those things. So nope, the creativity had to stick with me. It was with me. It's actually something that balances my life. So I have to do it.
0: Awesome. When you get into the later stages of high school and thinking about what you were going to do for a living, right? And, you know, we're we're probably closer in age than most, I think. So, you know, th- there was a lot in that generation around blue collar and, and you know, what are you going to make money at instead of chasing your dream? Exactly. <laughs> so what did that look like for you when you transitioned from high school to the next part of your life?
2: Uh,
1: yes. I, I told my dad that I wanted to be a art teacher and he said, no,
2: <laughs>
1: you're not going to be able to make any money with being an art teacher. You know, that was, we're talking about the early 80s when I graduated from high school. So, and art teachers were losing their jobs and music teachers. And it was, uh, so he said, yeah, I I don't think so. I don't, I, you need to, you need to go into something else. And I thought, oh man, you know, what do I want to do? So I grew up in, uh, in the central Ohio And my dad was a professor at Ohio State, so that's where I was going to go to school because I got (laughs) a half-off tuition. So I got the course catalog and was just looking through it. And I saw industrial design. I thought, oh, now that sounds interesting. So I called the university and asked them, you know, can you tell me a little bit more about this? I went and visited the school. And guess what? It's a way that you could be creative and earn a pretty good living. So <laughs> I thought, okay, this looks good. So that's what I went to school for was industrial design.
0: Nice. Did you like it?
1: I loved it. Yeah, um, it was. It gave me a great foundation for um, color theory, a work ethic um, of how to uh, break down um Uh, concepts and how to communicate it to people, which is very important. Yes, I I liked it uh, very much so. And worked in the field for a few years, got married and had kids. Well, life happened. And in design, it moves really, really fast. Then it was a man's world then. Mm -hmm. And I was the only woman junior designer and where I was and it was something that you had to live and breathe and work really hard and very fast paced so I couldn't have kids and do that so I was fortunate enough to not not have to work and I raised my kids and my husband worked, and he worked in the design field.
2: <laughs> nice.
1: So, um, so, yes. So, I was out of work. Didn't work for many years. But, guess what? I stayed creative, though, with my kids. Did all kinds of stuff. All kinds of stuff. And then, when my kids were in preschool, the preschool saw that I was doing all this art with the kids. And they asked me to be a preschool teacher.
0: <laughs>
1: and so I did that. And that was my first experience of teaching art was to preschool.
0: That's fantastic. And, you know, we should probably clarify that if you're going to stay home and raise your kids, that's not not working.
2: <laughs> like that
1: is, oh, yeah, yeah. That sorry. is a Oh, hard. no, no, no. <laughs> it, it's sorry. Oh, my gosh. Did I actually say that?
2: Uh, no
1: no no, that's the, actually the most important job in the world and yeah. um I, I just feel so fortunate that I was able to stay home with the kids and 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 to do that I certainly no 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 no
0: yes I know it's just I think a lot of people you know it's it's if you're at home you're not working right like, <laughs> like oh God how can you be working because yeah. um, yeah. I, I was a stay-at-home dad for our our oldest for three years and so i i I was had my own business so I was able to do a bit of work, but I was managing her and I was doing the same thing. And it was, it was funny when you talk about preschool because I would, I did the same thing. I, I was with my daughter and kept her amused and I was trying to do work and drawing and coloring with her. And then by the time she got to, you know, grade one, grade two, I was asked to come in and uh, do, not teach, but well, I was asked to teach, but I w- I just came in and did an appearance like once a semester and taught them about how to draw and how to do shadows and values and all this kind of stuff yeah you know, it's just um so it's a similar track but it like can you maybe talk about what that felt like because it it was so important to me to be able to do that even just once but can you talk about teaching kids to draw to paint to embrace creativity what was that like
1: oh it I tell you it's probably the best the best joy that I have to have that when I was teaching preschool and we were, I, I actually had the kids looking at uh, the master's work and, and we would talk about it. And when I read books to them, we were looking at the illustrations, you know? um, not, Oh, book, uh, children's books have great illustrations. Mm-hmm. But when we when I was um, teaching preschool I had we were looking at Jackson Pollock's um, work, and I had the kids splattering paint and and doing and just having the best time and one of the girls she she was shaking, she was so excited and she says, it looks like something I see at the museum, and I was just like, "Oh God, yes, here it is." This is why I'm doing this. I it just yeah, that's just the best. I mean, to think and you know maybe today she thinks about that. I mm-hmm. hope she does.
0: Yeah, I met a student uh, probably seven eight years after that, and uh, his mom had said, you know, he's he still talks about that, and he's still drawing, and he's still painting. But it was, it's, it's hard. I remember, um, just a funny story, because I was talking, like, the way I took my approach was it doesn't matter if you want to be an artist. Being able to draw and paint is important, whether you are, you are a police officer and you're investigating some type of scene, or uh, you're a researcher and you want to be able to share your thoughts with another researcher. But I, what I did is I pulled up the, um, the gold disc that was on the Voyager spacecraft, that, that shows kind of our relationship to the sun it shows it's a picture of a man and a woman, but they're you know they're mo- they have no clothes so so and it's a Catholic school, so I had to go in and kind of just modify the images yeah. a little bit, so I didn't get in trouble but I wanted to show kind of the importance of drawing and painting and right. um, it is uh I, I think those those experiences stick with kids. Like, I remember, like, do you have a teacher when you were, like, quite young that you remember as an art teacher that had an impact on you? Because I've got two or three in my head and they're always there with me. Do you have people like that?
1: I really don't have an art teacher. Um, in in elementary and high school, I didn't, there wasn't, we didn't have the greatest art teachers. But what I do remember What I do absolutely remember is them kind of giving us free reign. And I loved that because I was that type of person that would come in. And then in in high school, all my free time, I was in the art room painting all my free time. So I just loved all the art supplies and, and, and all that that was happening. I was asked to do to help out with the play to do backdrops and stuff. And that was a lot of fun That's cool. Um, doing that. Yeah. And then I do remember, and, and I'm wondering what in the world they looked like. But when I was in middle school, we were doing the learning the the skeleton, the bones, and I was asked to draw them. And that was our test. We had to label them. And I, I was the one
2: that... <laughs> <laughs>
1: What did that look like? But I just remember him asking me if I could draw a skeleton, and so I'm sure it was terrible. (laughs) (laughs)
0: It's it probably saved him some work, though, right? (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But um, so I was asked to do things like that, and that was pretty pretty funny. Yeah.
0: So you you you're a preschool teacher. How did did you do that for a period of time?
1: Um, I did that while, uh, my kids were in, in preschool, it worked out. Um, so I did it for three years and then we moved. I probably would have continued, but we, we ended up moving and then I, 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 was done with that. But, um, but that was my first thinking that, yeah, I should have been a teacher. I enjoyed it. Yes. And then my kids, the kids got older and, they were in school all day, so what am I gonna do? They still needed me, so it would have been hard to go back to uh, to work full time. So I thought, oh, you know, I've got some drawing skills, so how can I? Who's at home <laughs> that I can teach? You know, while and it was homeschoolers and seniors. Hmm. So that's what I reached out to was homeschoolers and seniors. So that's what really started my whole. Uh, teaching our journey was just having one uh, drawing class and three or four students
0: that's amazing because we see here's so many artists that go you know however they get to art and then they start doing shows and and then the teaching comes later and I know. you kind of flipped it around and <laughs> broke all the rules and we'll talk I about breaking, breaking media rules later but <laughs> you broke all the rules just around this and i think that's fantastic
1: Yeah, uh, that's that's part of the the dyslectic of me, I guess, you know?
0: (laughs) Exactly.
2: We
1: can't go in it this way. Well, then try the back door, and that's what I did. Yeah.
0: That's fantastic. And, uh, you know, I think so many artists, and maybe what your view is on this, but I think more artists should be teaching. And I don't think, like, if you know something, you know enough to teach it, right? Like, you don't have to have gone to an atelier school or been showing artwork for 15 years, if you know something, you should teach it. Because, it, uh, like, can I ask you this? When you started teaching drawing, did you become a better artist?
1: Oh, yes, definitely, definitely. Uh, my students teach me as much as I teach them. It makes me think about what I'm actually doing. It doesn't, uh, I'm not just thinking about how, Uh, What that mark looks like I'm thinking about how much I I work in watercolor So I'm thinking of how much water I'm thinking of and I'm I'm thinking about that even more because I'm thinking I'm got to teach this so I've got to really pay attention to what I'm doing and then if you verbalize it so you're doing it physically and then you have to say verbally How am I holding the brush? How much pressure am I putting? How much pigment do I have on my brush? How how wet is my paper? All of that has got to be going on in my head at the same time as you're creating. And it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard to do that. So definitely. And then also looking at other people's work and to express what you think they need to do too is a whole nother way of, of learning also is respecting other people's art.
0: Right. Yeah. I've really appreciated doing the podcast in that way because I've, I've learned to dig deeper and look at other people's art differently. And I think we all should do more of that. Not because we need to, necessarily do art the same way, because I've had oil painters on here, and I haven't touched oil yet, but their approach to it always interests me. And I, you know, you talk about when you're creating that you have to be mindful of how you're doing it. And I thought it was funny because there was an etcher session that you and I were in, And I was I think I was working on a frog. And you were talking to someone around color theory. And then you referenced, I think what I was working on. And you're like, like Mike's doing Mike, can you talk about what you're doing? And it's like, I'm um, just painting the colors I'm seeing. I don't know. <laughs> I started thinking, I should probably be a bit more thoughtful about how I'm approaching this rather than just, I don't know. I'm just painting what I see. <laughs> That's
1: right. That's right. That's right. That's right. But then you have to have a reason for it mm. because they're going to ask you. Yeah. I mean, as an instructor, you can't say, well, I just felt like doing that. Yeah. It just doesn't work. But Usually, if you felt like doing it, if you look deeper in there, you can figure out why. Oh, that's working. Or maybe I felt like doing that. And then you look at it and say, oh, but I shouldn't have
2: done that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But there's a reason. There's a reason why. So, you know, I think that teaching makes you verbalize something that is so visual And if you put uh, vocabulary to it, it even goes deeper Mm -hmm. uh, in your mind. So I I feel like I'm researching my work so much more if I have to teach it. And then also it gives me an opportunity to revisit something that I've done. Because if I'm going to teach it, I have to revisit it. Now, if I was just painting it, uh, for a show or just for me, then maybe I would have looked at that once, you know, while I did that.
0: Right. And, and when you're doing, like you started doing drawing, is that all you were teaching or were you teaching painting, just drawing?
1: I was I was teaching, um, drawing, um, with my industrial design background, um, perspective drawing was, uh, you know, very important, uh, to us. So I was teaching, um, uh, graphite drawing and ink drawing and I had somebody approach me and said we need a watercolor class do you do watercolor well here this is me <laughs> I said um give me a month <laughs> okay and let me re- research this and I'll have a class for you and, and they said sure do that so I dove into uh to learning watercolor and oh my gosh right from the beginning I loved it because it was so you can't predict anything I mean it's just so freeing and um so much different than having that ink I mean can you imagine here I was doing these ink very fine um I, I worked for a builder where I was doing the front covers of their, um, yeah, that was another job I had. Sorry, I didn't tell you that. But I was doing the the, um, the uh, perspective drawings for the front covers of, of his plans, and he wanted them to be hand-drawn because he wanted them to have an artist feel so that people would look at the drawing package and say, oh, I know what builder this is. Because oh. of my style of drawing, right? And they were very, very detailed. And then here I'm doing watercolor. Okay, <laughs> so um, yes, it, it it was terrible. You know what? I, <laughs> what I was teaching was was probably pretty bad, but it was good enough that it was good uh, good enough for the beginners. I mean, I was learning it. I'm telling you, I would learn it the week before, and then I was teaching it. And then I would learn something else, and I was teaching it. And so I excelled pretty fast by uh, by doing that. So that it was it was fun. <laughs> well,
0: I think the person who asked you to do it probably was looking for a partner to be able to start something with, as opposed to a teacher, maybe, right? Like, I think that's right. what some of us look for, is I want to try something, but I don't want to do it on my on my own, and I like you, so can we just take this that's on together? That's what we
1: were doing my whole class. I had, I don't know, there was, I think I had, like, five. I had uh, five students, and they stayed with me for years, and we had fun, because I'd say, okay, uh, what are you guys interested in? Oh, oil pastels. And I'd say, okay, okay. I'll research them and we'll be doing those <laughs> next semester. <laughs> so I did oil pastels, I did soft pastels, I did uh we did all kinds of stuff and it was it was fun. I just researched it and did it. But my love for watercolor came uh I that's something that I continued with.
0: Yeah, for me I I didn't like it at all <laughs> the first <laughs> five or six times I tried it, um, It, but I really wanted to, I really wanted to, and I wanted to because I I wanted to bring it with me, like I did a lot of graphite work, so I wanted something I could pack in a kit, and it, it, that whole idea of sitting out in nature and being able to put color on paper and and capture what I see in front of me is is what I've always wanted to do, and I knew that I had to do it with watercolour. And so that's the reason I kept going back. And then finally, I was able to let go. Like I think similar to you I, in graphite, I was really focused on the details. And with watercolor, it's I've got to just got to let it do its do its thing. And you know, then I stumbled across hot, hot press versus cold press, and I really mm-hmm. enjoy hot press because I can get more detail. And then I discovered uh, some other things that we'll talk about a little bit later that help you to kind of um, not be so fixated on protecting the white. But it, it took some time, and you know, I'm I'm kind of worried about trying things like oils, and I'm going to try acrylics, but uh, I'm worried about trying oils because I'm worried I'm going to love it, and so I'm I'm a little bit. I I want to make sure I've got space for for pencil and for for watercolor. But it's it's great that you fell in love with it from the beginning because you've done so much. When you look at, and we're going to share some of your work, and this will be my point to mention that. Please check out the show notes because anything we talk about will be in the show notes, including links to Tina's work um, and some of the other things that we're going to cover. But uh, when I look at your work and your watercolor, it's like, this is, this is different. And I love it.
1: Oh, thanks. I really appreciate that because at the beginning, you know, we're not finding our voices yet. Mm -hmm. You know, we're learning and learning technique.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, it's tough. I had Lisa Congdon on who, who's, who, who's written a book on it, and um, she talked a lot about it. And I was really fixated on it for a few months, that I I need to figure out what my style is, right? Like I need to – I can't go to the the store until I know exactly what I'm wearing that says it's me. And that's what it felt like with art. Like I can't start this until I know it's going to reflect me. And we do have to liberate ourselves from that and just play. And then we end up finding – and it'll come, yeah.
1: It, it will come if you just play. And you know the first the first artist that gave me my wing, I would I should say the artist that gave me my wing, that I actually figured out that oh I could actually let myself go. And that was John Samoko, who is a he's a, a color pencil artist that does scribble, and his paintings are have so much life in them and the colors are just wonderful and I felt like this was this was something that I could look at that I could really appreciate his line work and and his his preciseness with with his mark making but then his freedom of the marks he was making and I took his workshop. And I was doing a portrait of my daughter and his workshop. And he came over to me. He says, Do you have anger issues? <laughs> 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 because I am scribbling like you wouldn't believe. And I'm scribbling a feast, and I'm just loving it. It's it was just such a free freeness. and he was ju- he was joking, mm-hmm. but um, this was a, a it was a three day workshop, and I finished a a portrait that was it was pretty big. I'm thinking twenty by. I don't know, 18 or something, you know, so it was, it was pretty big, And for it to be just all color pencil, it was, um, you know, that, that was a lot. And so we would be working with him all day and I would come home and I would work. I was working until late, really late at night going back. And I, cause I wanted to finish it. I wanted to know how he puts his marks on the line. So he just freed me. So much. And then I thought, oh, if I could just put this in my watercolor, but how, how can I do that? And he looked at my work and he told me, he says, you know, Tina, if you figure out a way that you can combine both these, that transparency of your watercolor with the scribble active line, he says, you you just might have something. And guess what I've been doing?
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's beautiful work. I've watched a few of your demos, and it's great. It's great to watch this happen. So maybe let's talk about how you create and what you create. So you still are, your, your love affair is with watercolor, but you include so much other th- elements in that, right? So what kind of other things are you playing with? And maybe we can talk a little bit more about... Some of the stuff you tried in that as well. So
1: what I love about watercolors, I like the transparency. I like how you can get hard edges and soft edges where that watercolor just kind of will flow and then it cut and then it goes into the weight of the paper. I, I really like those those really soft edges, but that's not enough for me. The pastel, you know, a lot of times when you think of watercolor, you think of pa- very pastel. Uh, it doesn't show, and I'm I, I'm talking about uh, I'm not talking about the fine artists. I'm talking about you know a lot of people. Their 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 watercolors don't show a lot of value, and I like that having that darkness and and the white of the paper. So what I value is showing everything, showing um, getting your darkest dark and the white of the paper. And so I thought, you know, how can, can I do this? I took a workshop where somebody was using black gesso and that I was like, oh, I love this. And I thought, oh, this with the So that's a total opposite. The black gesso is very flat. Mm hmm. But what I really like about it is it shows the texture of the watercolor paper. And then you have next to that, you have this transparent watercolor where you're seeing all all of this. So, what that's a definite opposite right there. And then I uh, looked into um, color pencil and adding color pencil to the black gesso. Um, Two, the black gesso gives a ground, so it takes the uh, color pencil very well. And I can add that color pencil into um, the watercolor, too. Uh, Watercolor and color pencil are great companions. And I'm not talking about watercolor pencils. I'm talking about just regular color pencils.
0: And is there a kind that you prefer using when it comes to colored pencils?
1: I primarily use uh, Prismacolor just because uh, Prismacolor is very easy to get. And they, at least last that I know, they might have even more colors, but they have 155 colors. So you have a huge uh, color palette to choose from. But I do like uh, the oil base uh, pencils, too. Um, Rembrandt has some oil-based uh, pencils. I do like those. And you can intermix those. Um, it doesn't make any difference, the wax-based. and the
0: Yeah, because Prisma is wax-based, right?
1: Prisma Color yeah. is wax-based, yes. Right. So you can intermix those. Um, the wax-based um, holds a point um, longer. They're a little bit harder. Your oil base, um, they blend more. So if I was just doing a uh, color pencil piece, um, I would like the wax or the oil base because um, they do blend a little, uh, a little better. Um, well, I shouldn't say that; I, they're just softer. Uh, they right. are softer. So it just depends on what you like.
0: And and so when you talk about because I just uh, people can't see, but I've got a canvas behind me that I just black gessoed. it was my first time playing with black gesso it's fun um the uh when you're doing like let's say you're doing a piece and and I think we uh, you know I'll link to an example of a piece that you did and I think you have a YouTube video on it right of the um the leaf I think was oh yeah black gesso yeah. around the leaf yeah. yeah 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 and I'm wondering with that are you what's your process in that you are like are you Maybe you can talk through, like, what do you do first, and then when do you add the the gesso, and then when do you do the paint, and then when do you bring in the pencil?
1: Okay, so um, the piece that you're talking about, it's the leaf, and then and the uh, negative space that's around the leaf is black gesso. So that, uh, and then I went in and painted some black gesso in uh, the leaf, too. I painted some active lines in there to show uh, different thicknesses. Oh, I love that active line that is, uh, uh, shows movement. And um, as I was doing that, it was really funny because I'm thinking, oh, you know, I'm painting these veins and the, this leaf with the black gesso, and I'm painting them to kind of look like a tree. And how wonderful that is, right? So you mm-hmm. so you're painting a tree on top of a leaf. You know that's that's kind of cool, yeah. right? But um, you know that's nature again. That's giving us those those active lines and showing us that different thicknesses of lines is so important in a piece. Uh, but with that one, I did the black gesso first. And then I watercolored um, the leaf and just played with colors and and had it uh, really wet and charged in some color and just just let it bleed and and do its thing. So, you know, that's just celebrating watercolor right there.
0: And did you put any colored pencil in there as well?
1: Yes, I did. Again, I like to put the color pencil in as an active line. Um, Nothing stagnant. You know, you want want this active line. So different thicknesses um, going through. I believe I even added some of the color pencil in on the the watercolor itself too. And I also splattered uh, it with um, white gesso, right? I'm pretty sure I did.
0: Yes, I think so.
1: Yeah, I did. I'm, I just turned around to, to look at them. Uh, but yes, I love to splatter. Um, uh, color. I, I'm actually getting into um, doing a lot of that. We could probably talk about that later on uh, what I'm exploring right now. But, um, but yeah, uh, lots of fun. Lots of fun.
0: Yeah, and I'm looking like even the horse that you have on your Instagram feed is just... That's incredible. Like it's to have something render so realistic, but still be loose to some degree, right? Is, is really a, that's a talent.
1: Uh, Oh, thanks. Thanks. I think you're, you're looking at, it was just the head, right? Yes, that's right. It was a commission. Yeah, it was the commission. Um, It was so funny because when she commissioned me to do that, she says, now um, I want it to be, I want it to be, more realistic <laughs> <laughs> and and i said fine you know that is fine but if you really look at it you can see you know i took liberties on uh, on some colors and and but you but you know you can still see the muscles of the horse and the yeah and, and all that and
0: yeah, the subtleties, like seeing that dark value below the eye where the, 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 the skull comes in a little bit. And, and it's, uh, like it's, it's just so well done for something that is, you know, when you start looking at it, it's like, oh, I, I can see how it's loose. But you're able to just pull it all together. You even got a bit of a shadow on the wood, it looks like, from, the, yeah. from its head hanging over the edge. And uh, I was just like, that's brilliant. And the white that we're seeing, just from a technical perspective, is that gesso, is that gouache, or is that paper? That's The, the white specks.
1: That's paper. Okay. Yeah, so I, I actually um, uh, splattered it with um, masking fluid.
0: Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Because it looks splattered. So I, I was trying to figure out what you did there.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I splattered it with, I put some very fine um, masking fluid on to make sure that I kept some white. Here I'm not looking at it, but I, I, I'm, I'm sure it was like in the eye, the... I would call the lower shelf of the eye, you know, where you you see, for, you know, where the eyelash area is. Right. Um, places like that. That's really hard. That when you get the paper so wet as I do, um, it's hard to keep those those white. So I don't want to have to worry about it. So I go ahead and put some uh, masking fluid. But when you're putting that masking fluid on, you have hard lines and. If you just splatter a little bit of masking fluid on there to kind of even it out a little bit, they don't look so hard anymore.
0: do you use ma- like masking fluid a lot? I've never tried it. I have some here I've never tried it. Uh, do you use it on a lot of your work?
1: Yes, I do. I use it all different ways though. I use it with a, a fine liner applicator which kind of looks like a, a syringe uh, where you can be pretty uh, you can get a fine. Uh, a fine line but it's not really precision so guess what you get those active lines because you get thick and thin and and you can do a pile of, of the masking fluid and then pull it out out of that pile you know, if you look at my work you can see that that's the active white line that's going through but um, it doesn't have to stay white it's just a line that you can paint in to afterwards.
0: Interesting. I, I'm going to have to try it. I'm a, yeah.
1: <laughs> So that's one way. And then the other way, uh, some people will use, and I've, I use this for very precise things. Like if you have a little fence line that's going through something that has to be precise um, or maybe whiskers, you know, that's another thing um, you can use. The, it's called a rule. That you, you put ink in, okay. You know, um, you can use that, or you can use a dipping pen too in the masking, and you can get really fine, uh, fine lines. So there's a lot of different things you can do with that, and then you can also use a paintbrush, but you have to know that you can, you need to soap up the brush before you put it in, or it, it'll ruin a brush because it's like, it's kind of like rubber cement. Because you took right. it off afterwards.
0: And how are you taking it off? What tool are you using to remove the masking fluid if someone hasn't tried this before?
1: <laughs> i like to use a rubber cement pickup. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a rubber square. Have you seen them? Do you know what I'm talking about?
0: Is it like an eraser?
1: Yeah, it kind of looks like an eraser. Okay. Yeah. And you get the masking fluid comes off, like kind of like what rubber cement. Would. I've even have heard that some people try to use rubber cement for their masking I wouldn't I wouldn't do that um, you might as well get masking fluid right but um, it is pretty similar
0: interesting I'm gonna I've got to check that yeah. out
1: I've had I've had people say've I've used my finger my finger's really sore <laughs> <laughs> I've rubbing all the all the masking off. But, uh, right. but, yeah. but you have to remember that um, a masking line is just as important as a drawn, uh, a line that you would draw. So it has to be, even though mine look very scribbly and free, there's a reason that they're like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it creates a texture.
0: Are you going in as well at some point with... Alternative white materials to add back white to your pieces, like gouache, um, um, white gesso. <laughs> Are you trying to focus on the masking fluid?
1: I don't use, um, I use gouache to splatter with. I very seldom use it to paint with. I try to leave. Now, when you look at my work, the white, all the white that's left isn't all masking. No. You know, some of that is, as a watercolorist, you just have to learn to to leave some white. Right. Yeah. So, um, but the masking fluid, I, I, I like to work really wet of my paper, really wet. And what's really neat to see is the color kind of piles up where those masking lines. That's kind of hard to explain. <laughs>
0: Right, so it's almost like it's uh, it's it's creating like a bathtub ring right exactly. against that.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. But a pretty
0: pretty bathtub ring, yeah. like purple or blue. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, but it, but it does do that, and then it it um, goes into that um, transparent area that watercolor does. And I don't just keep my paper one way when I'm painting. I use gravity to paint. So, yeah. I'll turn my paper upside down, I'll turn it left, right, you know, whatever. I'll have a a towel on the bottom of my easel and I'll drip the the watercolor off that I paint trees upside down where the tree trunks are drips of of water that are coming down and then I go in and and I think with watercolor the more you don't use a brush the better off you are (laughs) so if you let gravity and water paint your painting you've got it.
0: So are you doing mostly wet on wet?
1: A lot. Or I use a spray bottle that gives me like little dots of water and I'm painting in that water that is super wet, but the edges are dry. So my paper, dry paper is masking in itself. And people that don't paint with watercolor, they're going to be like, what is she talking
0: about? (laughs) Right. Well, the thing is, watercolor is so accessible. So even if you're an oil painter or you are you haven't started painting at all, it's just, it's so accessible just to get into it. Yes. So maybe we should talk about the tools a little bit more. When it comes to the paper, are you doing any prep? Because I've seen people, you know, a lot, some yeah. watercolorists stretch their paper. Some people just tape it down. Most people, I think, tape it down. Are you doing any prep?
1: Okay. But there's two ways that I paint. One... I I don't uh, soak my paper and stretch it. I don't even do that when I use full sheet watercolor. I I, I don't do that. I will uh, sometimes tape the paper all the way around on a board that's slightly bigger. I will do that. But I just started doing something, something else because, you know, knowing me, I can't, I can't continue to do it the same way. So I prep a hardboard, just just a piece of board that you get from um, the hardware store that is, you know, I don't know, quarter of an inch, thick, masonite. Um, some people call it hardboard. Some people get, Yeah. And uh, it comes in eight, eight foot by four foot sheets.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you can cut it down to whatever size you want. So, I cut it down to whatever size I want to paint. And then I put gesso, white gesso, uh, on the front and back of it uh, to make it archival so that the hardboard glue and, and all that isn't damaging my, my paper. So, that's okay. how I prep it. And then I glue. Uh, a piece of watercolor paper over top of that, and I have a board. Okay. I hope that makes sense. I use, uh, like, matte medium uh, to glue it down. And so now I've got a very flat piece of board, and I can watercolor over that. I can also, a watercolor that I've done, I can put on uh, a board, too. So it can be already painted on. And then, then I spray it uh, with a varnish, an archival, and I use a semi-gloss archival varnish. And I put like uh, three to four coats of that. And I don't have to put my watercolors under glass.
0: Nice. And uh, so is this varnish intended for watercolor or is it just a varnish that you would use for acrylics or?
1: It's a varnish that uh, you can use for all kinds of all kinds of things, yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so it's an, it's an archival um, uh, UV ray. Um, I it's it's golden is the one that um, okay that I use. Yeah.
0: So I'll will find a link to that. We'll link to it in the show notes if people are interested in trying it out. And what paper do you prefer to use? Is it hot or cold and heavyweight?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Okay, I like I like hot press and cold press. Hot press is very smooth, and cold press uh, has a rough. It's probably the what people normally think of when they think of of, of watercolor paper. I don't have to use the 300. Um, it's a lot more expensive so I use the um, 140. I find that it is fine for me not to even have a full sheet of watercolor paper. I can paint on that and get it super wet where it's dripping and it still will hold its shape uh, enough. I don't even have to have it really taped down and I can can do things uh, on that so I don't have any problem with that. Um, I think it's because I do get it wet and I get it wet all over. So it's, it's already at its max. The hot press takes the color differently. It flows differently on there. So uh, your edges are going to be a little different. I think you're going to have to play with, with both of them. I just, I don't have a problem with using either because I always just go with, what I'm getting, and then react to what's happening. And I think if you approach watercolor that way, you'll, um, you'll love watercolor. And I, I heard a, a um, counselor that uh, was talking about how watercolorists um, view life. We view life the same way, where we kind of take what, what happens. Right. And then try to try to make something just beautiful out of whatever. happens. So, so yeah. So if you need a little bit of that in your life, um, maybe watercolors for you. <laughs> well,
0: I think it's uh, yeah. I mean, I like playing with both as well. I, I do find that um, cold press is kind of like, it's almost like carpet. Like it, it, it tends to keep things contained a little bit differently and hot press is almost like if you were taking a board and trying to balance a marble in the center. Sometimes the paint will do that, and you've got to just be really careful about And And that's where gravity can really nail you, I think, is with the hot press, because it just, depending on how the treatment is of that final surface, is the, the watercolor could just wander over here or not go over here, and or create a really sharp line. Like, I, I think sharp lines, because you can get detail in hot press much better because the lines can be so sharp. Because it's not kind of getting into the little
1: right. Because it, well, I think what's happening is the um, the bead of water stays on top. It doesn't absorb yes. as much. So so you, it, you it's just it, it's just a different a different child, right? So you have your watercolor, you have your hot press children. <laughs> and you have your cold pressed. <laughs> yes. and, yeah. and, and, and one of them could be um, uh, with cold, with the uh, hot press, it's smoother. So if you are adding other things um, to your watercolor, um, like color pencil is just beautiful on hot press paper. Matter of fact, a lot of the uh, color pencilists use the hot press paper for their ground, and they're not watercoloring at all. And I use for my graphite work, and yeah, I do do just graphite too. My uh, graphite work, I use the the hot press for. It's just beautiful paper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so if you're doing a mixed media. Now, before black gesso, I used to use ink, Instead of black gesso and oh the hot press takes ink. Just it's wonderful.
0: I think it's maybe important to if someone's listening to this and hasn't done watercolor, you can't you can't necessarily start at the bottom. Like you can't go buy I shouldn't say you can't. Don't judge your work based on the first materials you've bought. Because some people may buy a small little watercolor kit at Michael's and the paint is really it, it's it's not there's not enough pigment it could be chalky it could be that the paper they bought is is like you know mixed media paper but it's only like 90 pounds or I mean or, or it's even like 30 or 40 pounds right and, and it ends up warping and whatever so what would you recommend as a matter of the person starting what would be a good paint and a good paper to look out for and for someone starting, should they go hot or cold, or is that
1: okay? I think uh, if you're first starting, um, you need to get the professional paints and and paper. Uh, you're not doing yourself any <laughs> anything because it's it, it a, a professional is going to have a hard time making anything out of that. So why why should you? So I teach all ages. My five year olds that I teach they use. They use good paints because <laughs> why would I want to give them Kool Aid <laughs>
2: to paint with?
1: <laughs> when and oh my gosh, kids need those pigments. They have to have those. So, so, so yes, you need to have your professional, high grade uh, watercolor paints. Do you want um, to throw out a
0: few names?
1: Yes, uh, if you want affordable. That would be from uh, American Journey, from Cheap Joe's. That's actually pretty nice paint. Okay. Um Though they're watercolor paint, uh, so if you're looking for and student-wise, I would get because they come in really large tubes. I would get. I could get those and um, and those colors. They're 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 pretty good, and I know of some professional painters that that's what they they do use American Journey. I like th- my favorites just because of the colors and the transparency, and they have a lot of the Quinserdone uh type colors. Uh, my favorite is Daniel Smith. Um, I do like Winsor Newton, but you have to make sure that you're getting the um, Winsor Newton has different. Grade levels. Make sure you get in their professional uh, paint. Um, I think it's the Cotman. Yeah, the Cotman brand is is more of an upper student grade brand. Let's see what other M Graham. I like uh, M Graham's really nice. That's the one that uh, is made from honey. I would right. not recommend that for uh, plain air painting when it's hot out, though, because <laughs> it's very sticky and it's kind of messy. I've had my m Graham out. I don't close my palette. It's out to the air and it's still sticky. So it doesn't completely dry like the other ones uh, do, but... Uh, that is actually something that's kind of nice about them because they're more ready to to paint. They get ready a little little faster. But um, um, I would suggest you just uh, try try them out, and you'll 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 come up with your your favorites. There's a lot of really nice brands out there.
0: Yeah, but you shouldn't be at the bottom. You should be looking at. Oh some no, you need
1: the you need your product. professional grade. Professional grade, yes.
0: And what about paper?
1: paper definitely 100% um cotton you don't um and um I like arches farbiano mhm uh winsor newton actually their papers really nice too mm. but i think most of the professional uh watercolorists use um arches and farbiano artistico
0: yeah i think uh and, and if people go with a sketchbook, they don't necessarily even have to go to committing to a 11 by 14 or a larger piece, right? They can just go to a sketchbook that has.
1: Yes. Now, the sketchbooks are sometimes they're hard to find with really good paper. So you can also make your own sketchbook. Yes. Um, and it could be done very easily as of uh, taking buying your watercolor paper and cutting it down to the size that you want and then you take it to like staples or someplace and have it bound and you can get you can have like a really nice professional looking watercolor sketchbook and it here it has your favorite paper and it you can also, there's online, you can see different ways of folding a whole, take a full sheet of watercolor paper and cutting it and folding it into a book, which is kind of fun to do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some people that uh, stitch their books together to bind them. There's all kinds of ways that you can do um, your journals. But I I do suggest that they are nice paper. Now, Etcher has a really nice, Journal, but it's their it's their perfect sketchbook. Though the other sketchbooks, I I don't like to watercolor in, but their perfect sketchbooks are are really nice to watercolor. Yeah,
0: I've been using their predominantly their hot press just in their normal white um, covered, Mm -hmm. and I I like it. it. I I like it.
1: I must give I I think it's just because I'm so used to um, Arch's paper. Yeah. They sent me the, the first, the first class I did for them. They, 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 that's what they sent me. And I tried and tried, and I just could not get my water, my colors to flow like I like. And, and then they sent me the, the perfect sketchbook and that, yeah, that's very (laughs) nice. That's, that's very.
0: I've heard good things about that. And I, I do agree that, you know, you could make your own. There's um there's a a guy in um in england who makes them uh will bailey and he makes uses uh fabriano artistico and and you can get it hot presses what his focus is because i found it hard to get a hot press sketchbook um and then there's a woman that lives near me who makes wonderful sketchbooks as well where she leaves the the part where all the, the the stitching is she leaves that exposed yes and and that's kind of fun to see as well. I mean, that's I'll I'll link to both of these, but it's it's kind of fun to see that. Too. Yeah,
1: there's um there's a way I actually uh, taught that to my um, youth students how to make one and to stitch one, and you can have like where you you make it like three chapters big, and then you can add another chapter and you can add another chapter as you go, which is kind of nice. So there are ways to do that, but what you're talking about. Actually, going out and buying a handmade one—that's awesome because you're—it's already a piece of artwork.
0: Yeah, it's fun. I know I had uh, Lara call Gastinger on here, and she has a friend who do- who makes her books on Etsy. Um, they're not cheap, um, but, you know, I'll I'll link to all of these. Like, it's just, it's f- like Will Bailey has YouTube videos where he shows you how he makes the books, and then he shows you a year later to say, this is how I'm doing it differently now. And I look at it, and I'm thinking, you know, when I retire from my day job, I may consider building books. Because yes. I think it looks kind of fun. You, you don't get... You don't have to worry about dust. Like it's not a workshop or wood shop, and it, it, everything looks nice and clean, and then I can do something with what you make.
2: Yeah,
1: and if you're doing it every day, don't forget how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> if you're making, because if you're just making a sketchbook for yourself, you, you have to look up how to do it again because it's like, now wait, how did that stitch go? And how do I fold the paper?
0: Yeah, you don't want to make, you know, 10 or 20 and think, well, I've got a lifetime of sketchbooks. I won't ever do that again, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's
1: right. That's
0: right. And, and the first bunch are going to be great, so you might as well sell those anyway, so you get to the good ones later on, right?
1: But there is an awesome way where you can just take a full sheet of, of watercolor paper and you fold it and it has, it's a very cool little book mm-hmm. that you flip around and then it has even a hidden page in it to... Yeah, so it, it's kind of cool. So so you don't have to go into all this nonsense of, of stitching and, and all that. You can just fold some paper.
0: And I wanted to ask you, too, we can't ignore the brushes because I saw you with a big mop brush doing a bunch of flicking with it. <laughs> and so I, I want to understand, like, are you using, like, two or three brushes? Like, what is your, like, do you have a pointed round and then a big mop brush? Like, what are you going with?
1: I would say probably about eighty-five percent are done with a Skoda uh, Perla brush. It comes to a really nice point. It's a beautiful brush, and I'm I'm using a number twelve, and that's that's mostly for for paintings that are maybe fifteen by seventeen or something like that. But once you start getting bigger. You need a bigger brush. So I have the um, Escoda 18 round. It holds a, a ton of water. It's the Joseph Spufik. How do you pronounce his name?
0: I don't know. I'll, I'll link to it. Yeah. <laughs> so you will not have to. <laughs> jo- Joseph S.
1: <laughs> jo- Joseph. It's Z. Zup-
0: oh, is it Z? Okay. Yeah.
1: Zupik? I don't know, but he's the god of watercolor. At least okay. I think he is. He is just uh, the best. And of course, you know, I, I I saw that this brush had his name on it, and I thought I gotta have it.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: that'll make me. That'll make me paint like he does. Yes. But, so I do have um, his uh, signature brush, and that might have been the one that you saw that I was flicking a lot of paint. It holds a lot of water, but it comes to a really nice point. I do like, and that brush is it's kind of expensive but if you're looking for um, I uh, ones that are a little bit more affordable uh, I do like the Neptune the uh, Princeton Neptune their quills are really nice and I, mm-hmm. I do use those a lot okay uh, too and they hold a lot of water so so you need brushes that at times where you want a lot of water, and then you need some brushes that you can have a little bit more control. So the, the Perlas are really good for the control. Um, you can get it wet enough. It picks an, enough pigment an, uh, up. It goes to a nice point. And then the other brush that I really like are your, it depends on the manufacturer, what they call them, but they're called riggers sometimes. Sometimes yes. they're called liners or scripts. And they're uh, a very thin, long shaft brush. And those are my detail brushes. Uh, I, uh, when I use those, you want to think of them kind of like an ink pen. And you have kind of freedom to, to do some really nice line work. But I also like to use those brushes on its side and, it, and to do some dry brushing to get right. some texture. And uh, maybe you don't want to get rid of all the white of the paper, but you want to uh, get some texture lines in there. So I would say my Rigger, my Perla, number 12 Perla, and uh, my Ned, Neptune um, um, Quill, and, uh, see, I think I have an eight. Eight is the smaller one, and the other one's a 12. And then wow. I have the big, uh, the big one for my big paintings.
0: Okay. What people will discover, I think, as they get into this, and I didn't notice until I kind of stumbled upon it, but, you know, finding something like a rigor, like you say, is a really it, – it, it doesn't apply a lot of pressure to the page. So if you're coming in later – and you've already got paint down the problem with those with those nylon brushes depending on the shape of the brush and how tightly it's packed it could be like a hard brush like it it, it doesn't bend easily and the problem with those is they reactivate that layer that you're going over and i the nice thing about the riggers is they don't cuz they're so soft you could just drag your paint on top and you don't reactivate it cuz you're not poking at that yeah. the paint below it right
1: i love using the the, the rigger for if I just want to charge in some color, you know, and I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll get that and then just put that in there and it just and then the water takes it. I think for a watercolorist, that's really hard to understand is that when you're painting, your brush should be barely hitting the paper. What you want hitting the paper is the water and the pigment hitting the paper, your brush isn't what's painting the painting. It's the water and the gravity is, is what's painting it.
0: Yeah, especially if you're doing a lot of wet and wet. Like, that's the way that it's
2: going. Right.
1: About. And yeah. so even if you're going in and doing, and just like what you said, that soft brush, you know, you want it to barely be hitting those, the pores of the paper. Because once those pores of the paper are smashed then you're not getting um, that transparent. You know, you, you hear, oh, I'm I've overworked my paper. Right. Well, there, that's that's why you overworked it because you smashed. Yep. Yeah, so you have to have a really light touch when you're painting, and and I don't know if you're if you're going to get into this, but that kind of just brings us right to what is the foundation of painting.
0: Yeah, I think it's I, I think it's worth exploring that because you know i th- i think it's understanding you know when we're creating and maybe as you say it's a good transition to talk about you know when you're critiquing yourself or critiquing other people's work you know what are what should we be how should we be looking at this differently right it's it's always you could always look back and say it doesn't look like a horse or it doesn't look like a a tree But, you know, maybe throwing something that's a bit more structured, maybe a bit of a framework against that. And we talked just before we started recording, and I loved what you had talked about here. So maybe you can explore kind of some of these tools, some of these elements that we can use in evaluating our own work through the process, right?
1: Right. So what I think is extremely important is if you're looking at a piece of work that you really like. Instead of just saying, you know, I really like that and then moving on. What you want to do is examine it and say, why? Why do I like this? What's going on? What's go- what what is this artist doing? They're doing something right. Something that's making me notice this. And all the, all the masters, they, they, they talk about the elements of art and the principles of design. And I'm sure that everybody's heard this. Oh yeah, yeah. You have to have the elements of art and the principles of design. But do anybody you know do you know what they, what they are and what it actually means? And have you looked at a piece of artwork and gone through them? And I know in, in design school, we, we touched on what they were, and then that was it. Well, then what, what does it mean? What do these actually mean? So the, the elements of art are color, form, light, shape, space, texture, and value. So these are all things you have to think about, how you're going to use all of these in your piece of work. Because to have a a good piece of art, you're going to use all these. You're going to be thinking about all And I had somebody explain this to me that the elements of art is like having a recipe of making some type of fine food. The elements of art are the ingredients. And then how you put those together are the principles of design. And principles of design are pattern, contrast, emphasis, balance, scale, harmony, rhythm and movement, unity and variety. You'll see that these will be labeled a little different. Some of them will add a word. Some of them will um, eliminate a word. But they're pretty pretty much saying the same thing. Uh, So these are this is like vocabulary that we're putting into our pieces that you can look at and say, oh, you know, the colors just aren't working. So I think I need to learn more about color. So maybe I should take a class on color theory.
0: Right. Yeah, I think that's. When we talked about this, I wasn't aware of all of these. I had heard elements of it before, but not grouped that way. And I was thinking, wow, this is this is going to be helpful because I like having a framework, yeah. right? You like to be able to evaluate something against at least some references to to force you to look at your work differently because observation is so important in creating art. And observation should be just as important in how we critique it. And so by giving people this, it's it's incredible. And what I'll do is I will link to this in the show notes so if you didn't write down what tina was saying check the show notes and i will link to this because um, it's it's all over the place um on the internet but i'll find some good locations t- to highlight these and i think it's worth uh worth investigating if you haven't
1: yeah and you can look up each one of these and and get a tutorial on what each one of these mean and i that is worth looking into uh, is just looking at at these and kind of putting a vocabulary to your work
0: yeah I think it's worth uh, exploring we're not going to go through all of them here because it would <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that would that would be part two of the podcast yeah.
1: I actually taught a class on that we went through every single one of them and it took us two
2: years
0: but you didn't prep just for a month before you did that right <laughs>
2: no, no. <laughs> no, I didn't. No, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I'll teach that. Just give me a month. No, right. no, that's that's years and years of
0: experience, believe me. Right. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's there is tremendous value in that, and I think it does. We do we do have to critique our pieces. Sometimes we're too critical of it. Because uh, I know you've talked about this. I think it, it, I think you I talk about one interview about the ugly phase, right? And oh yeah, I, I think we we do have to. And so many people talk about you. You just gotta you gotta follow the process, right? It, it's okay to be critical. I was thinking, and I know you've done plein air work. I don't know if you were if if I mentioned this. I don't think I mentioned this in an etcher thing, but I was thinking it'd be kind of fun because I I don't like sometimes plein air is plein air is fun. Mm-hmm. You do it. Um, it's it's great to be able to go out and do that kind of thing, but uh, I always worry that people come up at the wrong time. Right? It's like, oh. just can you, can you come back in an hour? Because I'm not there yet. I almost think it would be good to have like, like like a a clock with a dial on it that has like 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 maybe three or four phases, right? There's like the sketching phase and then there's the values or the layout. And then there's the ugly phase, which is like 75% of the thing. You just put your arrow on that. So when they walk up, it's like, oh, they're in the ugly phase right now. I know what's next. I'll come back. They don't even have to talk to you. You could just kind of show a sign to say, it's not done yeah, yet. Yeah. Don't look I, in the I, oven. I, I, had,
1: I had people come up behind me and say, what are you looking at? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's it's all just like, it's just the underpainting of, you know, who knows what. And I'm yeah. like, don't you see it? Oh, see, here's the trees that are right there. And here's the water coming through here. The light's going to be coming through here. And this is actually that tree that's, that's right there. And they're like, uh, uh-uh. Uh-uh. Yeah. <laughs> they think yeah. that it should be just a, a coloring book page, you know, where you have all the lines in, and then you're coloring it in.
0: Yeah, th- that moose you're painting isn't there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's that's a tree. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think the um, plein air is 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 challenging. What is your like? Just speaking about plein air and some of the work that you've done. What's your favorite subject?
1: Oh, um, nature's my favorite subject. So um, I like to do. Um, Trees. Oh, I think trees are the most beautiful thing in the world. I even think they're more beautiful than flowers, which I think a lot of people would disagree. But I don't know. I think trees symbolize a lot. But just the way that they come out of the ground and they're so they they shouldn't be as hardy as they are, you know. And that massiveness and what trees do—they uh, how the light, you know, going through the tree, the leaves and. And all of that, I would say, no, my favorite thing to paint is light. Why do we see what we see is because of light. And um, no matter what I'm painting, if it's a portrait or trees, rocks, whatever it is, the horse, it's the way the light is hitting that horse. It the definition of the muscles or, or what, whatever. So what do I like to paint? I like to paint light.
0: Yeah, even the latest, um, I say latest, it may change by the time the podcast goes live, but one of your last pieces is like a, um, a shoreline, a cliff.
2: Oh, the, a yeah, bay. yeah.
0: And even that, you could see the striking hits of of, of light and shadow. Um, oh, I'm so glad you can see it. And, and the edges of the water just lapping up against the the, the, uh, the bottom of the cliffs there. It's just wonderful.
1: Oh, nice. Uh, that's been, uh, for the past couple of years, that's what I've been working on, is trying to get have the light be the star of the show and and try to get that. It's uh, values. It's it's all about values. I think values are probably, you know, which is uh, uh, from light to dark in your painting is, is so important. That's what leads the person through your painting are the lights and darks.
0: And what I really like about that piece, too, is... The, the contrast of the, the sharp edge and the soft edge because you've got those really sharp edges on the cliffs and then you've got that the, the misty mountains in the background that are just so soft. And I, I love that contrast because it makes both of them stand out, right?
1: Nice, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, like, uh, I like contrast. I like contrast I, all the way around. My values, my, my edges, my color is edgy too. Mm -hmm. using those uh, warms and cools, yeah.
0: And you talked about your experimenting or trying different things. What are are you playing with now?
1: Okay, so I just, I I did a plein air event, and as I was out there painting, and I was um, doing a lot of splattering, and I was just, since I was, splattering, I got to the point where I understood how to control it a bit. And I was loving that. So I was kind of playing with that and then seeing the layering of color, how the the color layers over top of the splatters. So we all know about Seurat, you know, and his little pointillism paintings. Well, you know, that's that's kind of what, this, what is happening. And when you do this, it gives you these like real soft edges that, that go in and out of the painting. And so I'm really experimenting with that now and having these like real soft types of, of paintings where the colors are doing that kind of like Monet type thing. But then, of course, on the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, but we have black gesso,
2: <laughs>
1: we have, and we have um, masking that I can do some scribble type stuff with. So this is this is another thing that I might be able to add in with all these other things. But then I have to be careful because the elements or the principles of design. You know, tell you but Tina, you gotta have balance and harmony in your paintings. So, you know, this is when you get into the where you're experimenting and your stuff starts looking really bad. And people come by and they say, you know, it might be a finished piece. And you're saying, Yeah, I know, I know, but but I'm experimenting with something. And they might say, Oh, Tina, what happened to your pretty watercolors you were doing?
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. What happened to those 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 pretty pears that you were painting and and they look so realistic. Yeah. And um, you know, that's when sometimes you just gotta tune that out and and go through the journey that you need to go through and and maybe you're not going to have the majority of the people as your fans but the people are going to people that are kind of into what you're seeing they're going to really enjoy what you have because it's new it's different it's not the same
0: right and it's you
1: and it's me it's me it's me yeah.
0: You've got to be you, and you've got to explore it a little bit. You may come back to the realistic pairs, but you'll be a different person when you
1: yeah, do that. Yeah, but it's not going to be the realistic background, maybe. I mean, if if people follow me on on, on Etcher, uh, they they see what I, you know, I have to put splatters in the background, or I have to put a, a, a grid of some sort, or, or some some active line or I've got to do something to it. It can't just stand as it as a picture of pears. It just can't. Right. Yeah. Let your voice out. Do it.
0: (laughs) You heard that from Tita. That's
1: right. Just do it. Oh, shoot. That's uh, Nike, isn't it?
0: Yeah. That's okay. (laughs) We'll use it. (laughs) We'll use it. That's right. So are you still... You're, you're doing in-person classes Mm -hmm. still, Mm -hmm. uh, you're doing, people can join you through zoom, like you're doing some through zoom stuff as well.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: yes, I have, uh, some classes, I have a combination where I'm zooming and, um, having, uh, people here in my studio. I have, um, I have a studio out of my home. I have eight seats, uh, for people here. So I'm teaching three watercolor classes a week, a drawing class. And two uh, kids' classes and a working studio. So that's my week that wow. I'm doing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, um, I see that. And we'll, I'll link to your website in the show notes where you showcase kind of all the classes and workshops that you're
1: doing. Yeah, I have, a, I have somebody from Canada that takes classes from me. And I'm, I'm in Michigan. I have somebody from Ohio. I had somebody from uh, West Virginia. And yeah, and so they're taking my Zoom with my Zoom. And then, yeah, I have people here.
0: Now, before we get into homework, I wanted to ask you one more thing just about uh, the teaching component. And you kind of answered it a little bit earlier, but maybe I'll ask it anyways. So this is kind of a two-part question. How do you feel you are as a student? And what do you look for in a teacher?
1: Oh, my gosh. that's, That's a really good question. Oh, those are really good. Okay, how am I as a student? Oh, can you imagine me as a student? Okay, how am I as a student? I've, when I take a workshop, I take them for two reasons. One is for my work, you know, to improve my work. And then the other one is to actually examine how they teach and, and see if, if I would like to do that, you know, uh, experience it as, as a student. So there are two. So those are two reasons why I would take. Now the way I believe uh, taking a workshop, um, I don't take a workshop to to have a piece of art for me to take home and to hang up in my house. That that's not what I'm taking a workshop for. I'm taking a workshop to learn technique. And I'm also taking a workshop to get as much as I can out of that instructor. So if, I'm, if, if I want to learn from them, I respect their work, what, what they're doing. And there's, they, they have something that I want to learn. So I work as hard as I can in that workshop. After, you know, when it's time to go home and stuff, I'm still working because I am, believe me, I'm going to get my money's work out of those three days <laughs> or, you know, whatever that you are with that person. So I'm working hard. I generally, I make a total mess because I am trying absolutely everything that that person's telling us to do and, um... And uh, to experience. And then after the workshop, I make sure that I have a couple days where I can be in my studio and just revisiting everything that I learned. Absolutely everything. That's when I can take it to my own work, is doing that. So I believe a student needs to work. Um, If you're taking a class, so a once a week class, and you're only painting with your instructor. You are not going to excel as much as you are for somebody that is, is working at home on their own. I have so many students. I have students that have been with me for oh, almost 10 years, maybe. And a lot of them, they're just painting when they're with me. And they tell me, says, I do okay when when you're when I'm doing the project or that I'm painting with you and you tell me what to do, but I just can't do do it on my own, so that tells mm-hmm. me that they need to work they need to work on their own so that they can recall all of that so that's right. me as a student
0: and what do you look for in a teacher like because I think that's the challenging bit right is that there's a lot, for example, drawing. There's a lot of people teaching drawing. How would you recommend, like how would you shop for a teacher? Because oh, there yeah. has to be a chemistry around that and stuff, right? So,
1: Okay, shop for a teacher. First off, you do have to have a rela- a, a good relationship. You have to have um, some type of respect for your instructor. And the instructor, he has to be able to Communicate with you. So a lot of times, you know, there could be an instructor that just has a really hard time communicating with the the students and helping the students meet their goals. So for me as an instructor, it's important for me to understand where they are and where they want to be. So those students that have been with me that are that for so long, you know, maybe that's all they want. They want the socialization and they want and they want to learn some techniques and they just want want that two hour time, you know, for themselves. And then that's fine. But me as an instructor, I have to understand that. Now, I I probably have I do have some students that want more than that and I have to give them. More than that, so I I would want an instructor that would not just look at the group of students, but that would look at me and know what my goal is and is a part of me reaching my goal. Is that kind of what you were?
0: Yeah, and I think it's like so. If you had a bad teacher, yes. So I think maybe that's part of it as well as people understanding that you can have a bad teacher. It doesn't make you a bad artist.
1: No. So, no. Not at all. Yeah. If you don't understand, I think that it's my job to make sure that you understand what I'm doing. But you also have as a student, you have to express that you don't understand too. And then that's and then my job as an instructor has to come up with a way to communicate it different. To you, so that you understand it, and I think that um, you know with with the the learning problems that I had, I think that 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 is very dear to me because there are students out there that that don't learn a certain way, and so I will I, I try to approach it. So I, I even tell them, I said now if if you are a student that has to write notes, you know just just have to write notes, write notes, do it,
2: mm-hmm. write notes.
1: If you need to stop, you, you need to not, not paint at all. And you just need to watch. Matter of fact, I tell them, sometimes I tell them, don't paint, don't paint, just watch, just watch and, and, uh, and do. But we all have different learning styles. And I think a, a good instructor is able to reach all of those, you know, what, what the student
0: needs. That's good. I like that.
1: Yeah, I had I, I, an instructor I, that gave us a packet. <laughs> it said, all the instructions are there, and the paper's there. Get started. And I'm like, um, are you going to tell us how to start? Are you going to demo? You- all the instructions are in there. And then, of course, you know that's when they get the newspaper out.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Sit back and start reading the my, newspaper.
0: <laughs> my work is done. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's not a good instructor.
0: So let's let's start with a little bit of instruction via homework for the listener.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: And what would you recommend as homework that they can take away uh, from the show and and try on their own?
1: Yeah, um, what I recommend is you picking out a piece of artwork from an art master, like I would look at Andrew Wyatt or Sargent. you know, that would be me. But mm-hmm. you pick out what, what you would uh, want, and I want you to analyze that. I mean, really look at, maybe you need to write it down, to write down, what do I like? Do, do you like the color palette? And actually, you should look at your elements of art. The first one is color. So, do you, are you really drawn to that color palette? Ah, okay, if you are, then what is the color palette? How are they using color? Are they using contrasting colors in certain areas? Probably. And then you then go to the next one. How are they using form? Hmm. So they're showing values to show form. Oh, so how are they doing that? Line. What is the line doing? Is, is the line drawing me in to the painting? Is it leading me through? Is there hard lines? Soft? Are there uh, lost and found edges? Shape? Hmm. Are there big shapes? Small shapes? Medium-sized shapes? Are they all the same sh- size? Probably not. Space? Oh, uh, do I see depth? Can I see for miles in this painting? Uh, texture. What do, what's going on with this texture? Is it all really smooth? Are those rocks show holes, and, and then, oh, there's a, uh, maybe there's a shiny area, maybe it's water, and then value. Value shows form. All of these, texture, you can't have texture without value. You can't have form without value. Value will show space. So value is extremely important. And then the, the principles of design, and I'm not going to go through all those like I did the, the elements of art, but the principles of design, you know, that... That's, a, that's something that you really need to look at, too. The rhythm, the, you know, are they using pattern? Are they using, uh, where's the emphasis uh, of the painting? And uh, how do they unify that? Uh, why does it uh, look like it all belongs together? Maybe you're looking at your painting, you're thinking, oh, this looks like two separate paintings, because the sky and the foreground, they just don't go together. So... Yeah, that's my homework for you for the next five years.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> well, I think that's great, because if we do this even to probably three or four paintings of a master, and then we come back and look, look at our own, we're building that strategy and how to critique ourselves, right? So I think that's it. Th- I love that homework.
1: Yeah. And if you're not sure about each of those elements, watch a short little youtube on explaining what mm-hmm. what they are but then of course you're kind of maybe you should watch a few YouTube's because right there's probably some bad ones out there <laughs> or take a class from somebody that uh that knows all of this that, that can help you with that but um but this is this is years of work you know these edgar Payne um he has an awesome book um, about composition and and shape and, and all that. Yeah, there's all kinds of really good books out there too.
0: Yeah, and you do, a there's a YouTube video where you provide feedback on people's work, right? Which
1: is oh, kind of yeah, yeah, I did that too. Yeah, I did that
0: for a Yeah. Yeah, so we'll link to that as well. That's awesome. Well, this is uh, this has been fantastic. Before we say our goodbyes, I just want you to share with people where they can find you online.
1: Oh, Uh, Yes, you can email me, Tina Hotchkiss, at yahoo.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Tina Hotchkiss. You can also find me uh, on Instagram, Tina's Art Forms on Instagram. I also have a webpage, tinasartforms.com, and that has a bunch of my work on it. It needs to be updated. I probably have way too much work on there. Actually, there's just like, yeah. My most recent work is is on Instagram because it's just so easy um, to post on there. So that that has my mo- but don't don't be afraid to um, email me with uh, questions and you know and I'll get back with you as as soon as I can. A lot of times Facebook. I don't know. I don't know what happens, but sometimes they don't get to me if there's a, a question. Uh, Instagram mess- Messenger, that that should, and Facebook Messenger could should, but I just don't trust them. Um, right. But email is good. That's awesome. Yeah, and if you have any questions about classes or anything, just, just let me know
0: this has just been a wonderful conversation it's been great getting to know you and talking about your work and and hearing about these edgy pieces and uh, <laughs> experiments yeah. and I, I love that you've taken the the path less traveled uh, in getting to art and getting to where you are uh, in, in doing the teaching first and doing all that work as a parent and then uh, you know and, and having that creativity kind of maintain you through life so right. I think this has been wonderful. I think you're going to inspire others and uh, not just to try it, but to experiment. And I just really appreciate your time, Tina.
1: Oh, I I appreciate you too. And thank you so much. And art is is to be shared. So don't forget that. So we're all very humble and just need to need to embrace it.
0: Well, take care of yourself. Have a good remainder of 23 or 22, I should say, and hope (laughs) you do well in 23. (laughs) Getting ahead of myself. (laughs) Okay, thanks so much talk to you soon
2: oh thank you
0: okay bye bye show notes including links to everything tina and i spoke about can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 86 if you enjoyed the show please follow share and review wherever you listen to podcasts this will help surface the podcast for others to enjoy thank you so much for joining us this week be kind to yourself and each other and keep drawing the music for this podcast is Acid Jazz provided by Kevin McLeod.